Hi Spain fans, Paul here with another episode of the When in Spain podcast. A very warm welcome to you, wherever you're listening from around the world. Thank you for joining me. Now for those of you thinking of moving to Spain, does that idea fill you with anxiety? Or maybe you've already made the move to Spain recently or in the last few years and you have these days where you feel a bit frustrated, a bit isolated. Maybe you feel like you're not the same version of yourself here in Spain as you are back in your home country. Now this is something that I can certainly identify with myself but it seems that I'm not the only one. In this episode I'm going to be chatting to British stand-up comedian Richard Marshall and he's going to be sharing with us how he used comedy as an antidote to help overcome all of these anxieties that are associated with immersing ourselves in a new culture and a new language. And then I just kind of made this connection of how my wife speaks to me in the house because she would always just say, like, uh, uh, you know, keep your voice down, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and I would just be like, who's Anda? So in the interview with Richard, we're going to be comparing our experiences of moving to Spain and comparing the frustrations and anxieties that we face. And uh, I think it's safe to say that we had lots of things in common in, uh, in this respect. We also had a lot of laughs comparing the little cultural differences, the idiosyncrasies that we've noticed since living here in Spain. We put the Spanish and British sense of humour under the spotlight and you'll also hear a few clips from his stand-up routine as well and I think it's safe to say that we both agreed that really laughter is the best medicine. So just before we get started with the interview with Richard I would just like to say a big gracias to new When in Spain patrons. So thank you to you Rebecca Paradiso de Sayu And also a big, big gracias to Eric Warren. Rebecca and Eric have very kindly signed up via the crowdfunding website Patreon to become patrons by making donations to help support the podcast and the work that I do. So I really appreciate your support, uh, Rebecca and Eric. Thank you to you guys. And if any other listeners enjoy the podcast and would like to help support uh, the work that I do to keep the podcast going and growing, you too can sign up to become a Patreon as well by making small, regular pledges via the crowdfunding platform Patreon. All you need to do is head over to patreon.com it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com forward slash when in spain and there are various tiers of patronage uh, which you can sign up to to help support me and at the end of the episode i'll explain in a bit more detail exactly how that works So let's get into the good stuff. Let's get into a very amusing chat with Richard Marshall. Richard moved to Madrid five years ago after spending many years working on the stand-up comedy scene in London. And during that time, he met his now wife. They relocated back to Madrid. And after a few years here in Spain, Richard decided he wanted to get back into the comedy scene. And so he founded Madrid Stand-Up Comedy through a chance meeting on a terraza with his friend and comedy partner Michael Damanti. 
Richard's going to be sharing with us how he's used comedy as a channel for his frustrations, annoyances, and that feeling of maybe being a little bit isolated here in Spain, especially when you're dealing with cultural differences and, of course, the language barrier too. So without further ado, here's me chatting to Richard Marshall. Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to join One in Spain today. You're welcome. It's uh, lovely to be here. So Richard, tell me, stand-up comedian, you mm-hmm. worked on the London comedy scene when you used to live back home. Now you live in Madrid. How did you end up getting back into comedy here in Spain? Did you know there was a comedy scene here in Madrid? Well, it's funny you just asked that. I had absolutely no idea, basically, yeah. So when I was living in London, uh, I was doing um, the what's called the open mic circuit uh, out there where there's gigs every night of the week. You know, you can, you can, you can be on stage four, five, six nights a week if you want. Um, and I was doing that, but uh, as a single man. Right. So uh, it's a very therapeutic thing to do, stand up comedy. Some people say, you know, it must take a lot of guts. You must be crazy. How do you get up in front of a room full of strangers and, you know, try and make them laugh? Um, but there's always got to be some kind of psychological need to do it. Right. And as, as, uh-huh. as, as a single guy, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I read a quote in a book once about comedy. There's this kind of there's this surrogate affection. That you that you get from an audience, you know, this mm-hmm. uh, when you when you make a room full of people laugh, there's this uh, this kind of dopamine hit that you that you get as a result of that. I suppose nowadays with social media, people get that when they get a certain amount of likes on on a video or a photo or whatever, uh, and it feels good, you know. You get this recognition from 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 people, and uh, it's addictive, you know. You feel you feel great about it. So uh, so yeah, so I was, so I was doing that in London. As a single guy, and then I met and fell in love with my wife. Over time, I preferred hanging out and being with her than I did a room full of strangers. I mean, I was still doing the comedy for quite uh, for quite a while after I met after I met uh, Monica, my wife. I would often be on stage, Paul, and I would think to myself, "Do you know what? I, I don't know any of these people. They don't know me. I'm going to do the gig and then go home. I, I would much rather be." on a date or just just chilling out with with monica you know i i, I got all the dopamine and love i need I, I would ever need from her you know so you no longer needed that surrogate affection from from pleasing the crowd you got yeah. you got that from your what your now wife yeah, yeah my now wife yeah but yeah absolutely and that's and, and over time it just kind of i would cancel a gig and sort of do something with her and uh, it kind of just fizzled it fizzled it was you know it was my decision but I just kind of yeah. just didn't need it anymore so I kind of gave up uh, I gave up the stand-up I think that's the right thing to do now spend more time with your with your lover <laughs> I'm sure she was was she happy about that <laughs> you know it takes up anything creative as you know it takes up a lot of your spare time you know yeah. and if you and, and uh, if you want to get it right and be good at something you need to dedicate some time to that and uh, yeah. it's just an organic thing that happened I kind of walked away from it and didn't miss it at all but to answer your question from before is how I got back into it uh, again out here in Spain I mean of all the places to do stand-up comedy in English I, I didn't think another country where English isn't the mother tongue would would be at, at all a place to, to do yeah. it you know I had no idea there was a, an English speaking theatrical or comedy scene here in Spain the way that happened and sort of came about is quite a, a serendipitous story really 
I was out one afternoon with uh, my family. We were out in a little pueblo in the in the Sierra here in Madrid. And we were having lunch on a terraza. On the table next to me, I heard um, an English speaker. I heard this American accent. And this chap was speaking English to his children and then speaking Spanish to his wife. And then he would switch from Spanish to English. And at the time, I had like zero Spanish. I mean, just nothing. Yeah. I just was sitting there so envious of this chap. I was thinking, how can you do that? Like, how long have you been here? How many classes? have you had to get to that level and I just turned around and asked him I said hey how you doing I'm from England uh, you know you, you sound like you're not from Roundy and I was like yeah no I'm from New York and we got chatting and it turns out he'd been with his wife for something like 13 years so he'd, he'd, he'd got the practice in you know he'd, he'd, he'd pretty much got the language down yeah and lived out in Spain himself for a few years I got his number we ended up going out for a beer a few weeks later and he was asking me about my background and mentioned that I'd done uh, a bit of stand-up. You know, sometimes you say that to people and they're quite, they, they can be quite impressed with it. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, really? It's not the usual thing you, you no, hear. No, you don't meet everyone. <laughs> it's not every day you meet someone who you know, works as a stand-up comedian, yeah. So he was pretty shocked and, and uh, he was like, all oh, right, I've, I've always wanted to do that. Uh, what got you into that? Uh, who's your favourite comedian? So we, we just got, we just ended up talking the rest of the night all about it. He then went off and did some research and found that there was a scene in Madrid. And he found a chap called Dom Anglim, who was running a night, uh, who's friends with Trisha Odette. You had her... Trisha Odette, who was a guest on this podcast, yeah, a few episodes ago, yeah. So um, Mike discovered this this comedy scene. He, he wrote some material and he just went up and, and did a gig. He invited me to his first show. He asked me if I wanted to do a show as well, and I said, to be honest, I've not written anything. Uh, I'm not really ready. At the time as well, I was having a lot of Spanish classes. My main objective at the time was to really try and get the language down, you know. Yeah. So uh, so I felt I didn't want to take the focus off the language learning and onto something else. So I said, no, 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 you, you go ahead. He did his first gig at this place called Diamonds Comedy for, for Dominic Anglin. And he did really, really well. I was, I was kind of sitting there. If I'll be honest, I was a little bit envious of this but guy. He stole your idea, basically. He said, oh, right, you, you used to be a stand-up comedian. Right, I'm going to go off and do this now. And, and yeah. he did it, and he did it quite successfully. I yeah, guess. he did it very successfully. And as a Brit, I kind of didn't want him to do very well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about that earlier, yeah. We talk a bit about that later on, about British sense of humour, about like we like to celebrate failure. Yeah, we love to see people die on their ass, as we call it, <laughs> in the comedy world. But he didn't die on his ass. He did really well. I'll be honest with you, I think it was about two or three years went by, right, where Mike was just doing this and getting better and better and better. And I was watching him with jealousy in the background. And it got to a point where I was pretty content with my Spanish and I couldn't take it anymore. The envy of watching this guy do so well to a point where I thought he was better than me, Paul. So, I mean, it got to, it got to pretty raging envy levels, right? Don't you hate it when that happens? You know, you <laughs> give someone else an idea and then they go off and they do it and then they do it better than you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I called him up and I said, "Look, Mike, uh, enough's enough. Uh, I've got to come. I've got to get back on stage. Yeah. Right? It was seven years in total since I'd done a gig. And you know, you get to that level of not doing something, and you think you can't do it anymore. Yes, yeah, like, shit. How do I be funny again? I've forgotten. <laughs> it must have been difficult to get back into the saddle. Well, it's always like they say, you know, the first step's always hardest, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I'd been writing down little ideas and things, mainly the cultural differences here, things that I saw that." that sort of annoyed me or baffled me or, you know. Something else that we're definitely <laughs> going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast. <laughs> and I just thought, right, I'm going to go up uh, and do it. And uh, Mike put me in touch with Tricia. She was running a night 
through her label Stand Up Yours yeah. down in a, a place called Teatro de las Aguas, which is in La Latina. Yeah, just around the corner from where I live. And I went on and just was like a bit rabbit in the headlights, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, to use it. <laughs> but it very quickly came back to me. Like once you get the first laugh, right, once you get that first sort of recognition from the audience, I was liking it to a sort of a cat being stroked, you know, you, you, you sort of <laughs> feel this warmth of, okay, you're all right now, you know, relax, it's okay, Yeah. you know. One thing I'd written was about my, my, my wife and the, the imperativo way of speaking here in Spain, because I, I, <laughs> I always found it very direct, there's not a lot of please or thank you, it's very much, uh, pass me this, pass me that, dame esto, deja las llaves, yeah. abre la puerta, it's all very, very orders. Direct, isn't direct, it? Yeah. Give me. Pon me, dame. Yeah. It just used to drive me mad because as a, as a British guy, you know, we're brought up with, with please and thank yous. You know, you, you, a two-year-old child knows how to say please and thank you. If they ask for something, you say, and what do you say? And they say, please. Like, it's just in our DNA to be saying please all the time. I think it's one thing that you definitely realise when you first arrive in Spain is how direct people can be. Um, yeah, and it just yeah. looks like bad manners, doesn't it? You just think yeah. they're rude, these people. Yeah. You know, you see them in a shop and they just say, you know, dame medio kilo. And they're in a bar and pon me un café. And you go, what's the deal with how rude these people are, you know? <laughs> yeah. And this is, like I said, like before I ever got back on stage again, I would, I would be jotting down these little ideas and these little <laughs> these things that annoyed me. And then I just kind of made this connection of how my wife speaks to me in the house because she would always just say, like, uh, uh, you know, keep your voice down, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and I would just be like, who's Ander? Like, what do you keep saying Ander for? And I had no idea what it was. It's this kind of Spanish expression. It just means, like, come on, quickly. Like, and it was just yeah. Ander, Ander, Ander all Anda, the time. Anda. Another thing I can't get used to, which is weird, really, because I'm married to one of them, are the Spanish women. Right. I've got one or two Spanish women in. I, I think Spanish women are great in general, although if I could give them one constructive criticism, if I may. They're very direct people, right? Now, I don't know whether it's the overuse of the imperativo form, you know, the kind of, the kind of orders in the Castellano language. I don't know if it's that, but there's not a lot of please or thank you going on, right, in my experience. So, I'll give you a bit of an example of how it goes down in our house, right? Apaga la bufanda. Apaga la bufanda. Pásame las llaves, anda. Literally thought my name was fucking Anda. Well, my name's Richard. I think speaking to my girlfriend Karina about this, like you can make a very direct command to someone. Yeah. But if you put Ander on the end, yeah. it softens it slightly, apparently. Oh, so really? if you go into a bar and say, Ponme una cerveza, Ander, apparently. I thought it was the other way around. I takes the edge off me. it a bit. It's oh. a little po a, a, a politeness. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> that. that. <laughs> well, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it meant like, to use a, a, a Blackburn phrase, crack on, you know. <laughs> Pass me that, crack on, hurry up, you know. Yeah. So that's just kind of an example of one of the first bits of, of material of me writing something that was winding me up, annoying me yeah. about living here, turning it into a little bit of material on stage, and it went really well. That's a nice little segue, Richard, um, actually, because I was <laughs> going to ask you, moving to a foreign country, and for us moving to Spain, comes with its frustrations, things that basically kind of piss you off because you're not used to them, you don't understand them. Mm. 
people do things in different ways. There are these kind of cultural sensibilities, culture shocks, which I have talked about previously on this podcast. So is it fair to say, Richard, that using comedy as an outlet to reconcile your frustrations that, I mean, you know, I guess we all find when we move to a new country, whatever country that might be, we're not necessarily only, you know, criticising Spain. We do find that things are different, daily frustrations, things that jar with us. Comedy for you has been an outlet vocalising those frustrations and dealing with them. Yeah, very much so, Paul, and uh, it's a very good point, actually. I um, became very grumpy quite quickly moving here to yeah. to Spain, and that's because of the my lack of, of, of Spanish in the first sort of, you know, year or two. And the only person really I could sort of speak to uh, or complain to uh, about anything was, was, <laughs> was my wife. You know, we uh, she speaks great English, and uh, we speak English together. Just Just little things, really, and it's not sort of... Uh, like you say, it's not having a go at Spain as such. It's just that uh, you know you notice it when you're not from a place. You you spot things more than people from there. You know, and uh, now being able to to do the comedy, I get that rage and the things that annoy me. I'm able to write it down and say it in front of a room full of people instead of whinging at my wife about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm still gr- I'm still pretty grumpy, but I, <laughs> but I tend to to sort of take the grumpiness out on the audience now and not. And not my wife. And when you know, when you get a room full of people laughing, uh, it's a, it's kind of a laughter of recognition, really. They're, you know, yes. they're thinking, "Oh, ha ha ha! I think that too. I thought I was the only one that spotted that." But no, look, it's a, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's observational comedy, but it's yeah, it's just looking at observing another culture, really, which is a lot of my material. Not all of it, but you know, a lot of it yeah. is like that. So it's very therapeutic. To answer your question, it's it's a very um, it's a good way of ease in the mind yeah yeah Yeah, giving it an outlet getting out there and I I completely agree with you I think for my first at least my first year if not two as my girlfriend Karina always used to call me a complainer oh you're such a complainer Mm. and she used to say things like stop being so fucking British (laughs) things are done differently here things work differently you know it's a kind of acceptance really that you just accept things are done differently people act in different ways you know all of these things things work differently and I think it is just a slow game of acceptance although you know I have to admit I still have my moment. I think for me, it's, I mean, you're right. It's an acceptance on the surface of things. But I think deep down, the inner voice that you have in your head, <laughs> that that's, that's, you know, the voice you can't switch off that's always looking at things and sort of saying, can't believe they've left that there. Why did that guy not hold the door open for me, even though I've got a pram and two full bags of shopping? <laughs> that inner voice, you can't turn that off, right? That's always on. That's you know true. I mean? so, it's, it's always there. Yeah. So, so that's what comedy does for me. If you were to externalise that inner voice, you would have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> Fundamentally, Billy, no mates. Yeah. No one would want to talk to you. you yeah, yeah. No one would come near you. you. So you keep that inner voice inner. But what comedy <laughs> does is, is for me, it gives me a little environment to be able to externalise that voice. And if if they laugh and agree, that's great. Yeah. If they don't agree, then that's fine too but it's cheaper than therapy so at least <laughs> at least I got it off my chest maybe it wasn't funny but you know there you go yeah um, and it also gives your wife a little break as well <laughs> yeah she's a lot happier since the start of the comedy again for sure yeah. yeah I think you said earlier it's like cheaper version of therapy cheaper version of therapy strongly recommend it speaking of how you know life in Spain has been an inspiration for your material any other examples that you've used in your comedy routine that spring to mind let's call them pet peeves yeah well believe it or not just on the lines of being grumpy like my wife calls me antisocial right (laughs) 
And, and that's because I look at the way Spanish people are super, super sociable, right? They love going out in big, huge groups. My wife has a go at me. She just says, oh, you're grumpy and antisocial, Richard, because you don't get involved. I'm like, I'm not antisocial. I'm British. Right? <laughs> I just said a new lot that you're just too social. You're just all out in big, massive groups, all, you know, like 14 at a table and all that. Like, you're just too happy. You're too happy. You go into shops saying, buenas dias to everybody and all that. You don't even know them. Stop it with the happiness. They meet and do that sort of thing any times of the day, whether there's booze involved or not, do you know what I mean? And, and I always sort of look at those big groups of people and as a Brit, my experience of socialising in big massive groups usually involves a few drinks, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, definitely. And, and I sometimes say, well, let's go out, we're, we're going out with X, Y, Z, whoever, you know, how many's going? Oh, you know, oh, there's about 20 of them. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's only like two in the afternoon you're meeting. Is anyone going to have a drink? Because I just don't think they drink much over here in Spain, right? <laughs> Not like we do. I mean, listen, they drink, yeah, but it's just little, just a little bit here and there or a copa or a vermu or a, or a little caña a little or whatever. Canya. And I just like look at all that, that social environment. And it's just difficult for Brits, I think, to get the cogs oiled unless you've had a few few beers in you. you very, uh, very true. I mean, I don't know if that is a sad indictment on us as Brits or not but I would certainly agree with that I mean yeah if you're socialising in a big group of people you want to have a few drinks to kind of loosen up and feel conversational <laughs> yeah exactly so I've been whinging about that for ages right and she just says oh you're so antisocial I say to her look I could probably handle all these social events if I was you know a bit a bit more drunk right? like, I used to get a bit more drunk and I said because you guys don't really drink you drink you know you drink them little canyas and I, and I, I wrote a bit about like the word canya I think I could handle all these little things that annoy me and get on my nerves, right, if I was drunk a bit more than I am. Because you've got to remember, I'm from a part of the world that's famed, really, for its drinking culture, you know. And I think just people in Spain, they don't really drink that much, you know. I mean, they drink, but not like proper UK standards, Benidorm, Magaluf, get fucking out your face drinking. Do you know what I mean? Like my Spanish mates here, maybe it's my age, I don't know, but my Spanish mates, maybe they meet for a vermu, right? Yeah. Or a copa, Javier, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or a caña, right? What are all those canyas all about? Anyway, have you seen those thimbles full of beer? Yeah. Who's getting pissed off then? Yeah. Caña, caña. I'll tell you what they should be called. Can you put that in a bigger glass and fill it up? <laughs> For us Brits, canyas are tiny. I mean, if let's let, let's put it this way. I mean, if you saw a Brit drinking a beer that size back home, you would be absolutely ridiculed. The what the hell is that? Yeah. That's not a beer. And that's a really good point you make, Paul. Actually, about being ridiculed because there's another huge difference uh, about the. The, the difference of humour in other countries. Absolutely, I wanted to talk about that. What are the key differences between a, a Spanish sense of humour and a British sense of humour? I have to admit, for me, the Spanish sense of humour is still quite elusive. I can't pin it down to what the Spanish sense of humour really is, consists of. Any country has its own inbuilt cultural history, really. Yeah. You can say a TV show to a, to a Brit who grew up uh, you know, in the 80s, you could say Fraggle Rock, Knight Rider, A-Team. You know, we know what those things are. It's having that shared yeah, frame exactly. of reference, that you, cultural, those cultural reference points, yeah. Totally. And they, 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 you know, Spanish people have those too. Apparently there's a TV show called Oliver y Benji, which was a show that was on on a, on a kind of the middle of the afternoon or whatever. 
And everybody apparently back in the day when there was only, you know, three channels or whatever, like when Oliver e. Benji was on, like the street, the streets were deserted. Like the, the kids <laughs> would be playing out and all that with the bocadillos and everything and the columpios. But then all of a sudden they knew, right, Oliver e. Benji's on. Everyone would disappear, go home and watch it and then yeah. come out afterwards, right? Now that's a story my wife's told me. And I can say that in a bar with some Spanish mates, I'm like, oh, it's just oh, the streets were empty, it's like as if Oliver Benji was on. And that'll get a big laugh from them. You know what I mean? Right, that's, yeah. a, that's a really good example of sort of, you would only understand that if you were from here and grew up here and knew what that meant. Right? And meanwhile, you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, who the hell is yeah. Oliver and Benji? What the exactly, hell is this? Yeah. Exactly, right? So uh, when I first moved here and all these little <laughs> things were getting said among a group of friends or whatever, and they were all laughing uh, heartily at it, and I had just no idea. So I think it's not just saying the difference between a British sense of humour or a Spanish sense of humour. I think it's the same anywhere in the world you go. I think there's these, these little cultural things. Yeah. Um, unless you sort of grew up with it and knew those little colloquial terms, the slang terms for certain things. Yeah you know, it makes such a difference in the humour, which is why it's really difficult to move to another country and not just, just the language itself, but you as a person, the, 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 the you know, the Paul you are back home in the UK mm-hmm. and the Richard I am back home with my mates, you know, we're different guys when we are here. I, I totally you know? agree with you. You've described it as like having a, a personality transplant. I kind of look at it like it's almost like having a large chunk of your personality removed overnight. You know, if you're in a social situation, you're with a group of friends and they're all Spanish. First of all, you've got to contend with keeping up with the language and understanding what's being said. Not just that, compare that with back home with your group of friends in you know in speaking in English you can chip in you can chuck in little jokes and gags and reactions and you can you can come back with stuff which in Spanish you know in a second language is really difficult to do we've talked about this before and you know we both agree that the the British sense of humour really really the focus of the British sense of humour is sarcasm it's very dry there's a lot of taking the piss out yeah. of each other between friends. That is the kind of cornerstone of British yeah. British humour, is mocking each other. Yeah. It's relentless, quite brutal at times, especially between close friends. You know, you've got to be on your toes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think that I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Paul. It's, you know, in order to, to keep up and be funny, like I take, for example, like going out back home in England to a pub or whatever. Like you would walk into a pub to meet your friends on a Friday night, half seven, eight o'clock, and there'd be a group of mates there, so eight, nine lads or whatever. One guy would walk in with like a really flamboyant, flowery shirt on, right? Yeah. Now, everybody probably thinks like that guy looks pretty cool. I would never have the guts to wear that shirt. He's probably going to pull tonight, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you just find some ligar. I think ligar, probably, yeah. Right, right? So that guy's going to pull. He looks, he looks heaven. He looks amazing, right? Yeah. But no one's going to say that to him, right? Everyone's just going to look round and just go, oh, nice shirt, mate, hope it wins, or something like that. Oh, that's what's happened to my grandma's curtains. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they're, they're just going to get the piss taken out of them straight away. Always. So unless that guy's got something up his sleeve to come back with, some banter, then he's done. He's out of the game, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 9 nil. You're out, mate. You're not yeah, funny. Yeah. So, you know, we just, we're growing up, we're brought up around a culture that's just this fast pace defend yourself with something funnier than how you just what you just said to me banter whereas i found in spain that that wouldn't happen if someone came in with a with a shirt like that they would be like hey que camisa mas chula you know de donde has comprado where did you buy it from that's cool yeah yeah do you know what i mean like (laughs) whatever you know it's they're very complimentary about it whereas 
Which we think that. We think the guy looks cool. But we're never going to admit that. We're never going to say that. No, like you said before about like We don't compliment our friends on these kinds of things. We want you to see you die on your arse. We want you to see you not pulling that shirt. We want you to see you get laughed at by everybody. Right? When you meet the next day and you say, well, it doesn't happen anymore because of social media and everything's shared online. But back in the day before the... Facebook and all that, when you could meet in a pub and share stories of who you took home after the club or whatever, right? Back in yeah. those days when you would meet in the bar on the Sunday and chat away, if Flowery Shirt Boy said he did well, women, you know, we were raging about that, you know? It was only if he went, oh, well, she blew me out and in the end I had to walk home my own with a bag of chips, you know? That's that's funny Yeah, and then you'd be, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shouldn't have worn that shirt, should you? Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. That's, the, the, that's what I'm, you know, that's what you miss and that's what I mean about this personality transplant thing, this kind of having to adapt to to another country, wherever it be in the world, you know, but that's one of the biggest challenges I've found. You can just picture the scene of the guy putting the shirt on and thinking, I'm going to get some stick for this shirt tonight, but I'm going to I'm gonna wear it, I don't care, I'm going to wear this shirt. And then, oh, by the way, the flowery think- shirt guy was always me, by the way. I don't know what I mentioned that. <laughs> thinking, right, I've got to get some comebacks ready because I'm, I'm definitely going to get some stick. In my experience of socialising with Spanish friends, it's just not there. There isn't no. that sarcasm, you, mocking each other kind of thing. We love to celebrate failure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm thinking of back home in the UK, you're in a pub and the person working behind the bar drops a glass or knocks something over, massive loud smash. What does everyone do in the pub? They cheer. cheer. So to make sure that it's basically saying we've noticed you've 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 screwed up there, you've (laughs) fucked up, and we're all going to make that really obvious so you know and so you feel like shit, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas you know here in Spain, someone smashes something, no one says anything hardly, or there's like a little rumble of ooh, and that's it. Exactly. (laughs) By the way, I don't know. I've told you I did a set a gig in Spanish the week before last. I tried some. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How did it go? It got interesting. (laughs) <laughs> interesting good interesting well to use a spanish phrase i see i see you know what i mean like so so yeah um look it went all right i think you know it was a big enough challenge doing stand up in another language you know to, to i thought i was at a level where i could do it and i you know i did it i was understood um but i made the mistake of writing uh i had my british comedian head on as i was as i was writing the material so a lot yeah. of it came out quite sarcastic quite as in I mean the opposite of that right which when when you think about the lack of sarcasm here they think they thought I think that I I meant a lot of stuff literally I mean I give an example I mean when I opened the set I basically said uh you know so you giddy right which when you have a giddy calling themselves a giddy is usually pretty funny just just for the benefit of the listeners you may not know what is a giddy so giddy's a extranjero it's a foreigner right it's someone who's not from here but I think more giddy now is associated with the very sunburnt, pale-faced, uh, yeah. drunk Brit in Benidorm or Magaluf or whatever. Yeah, I think of, I sort of always think mean? of it as like a yeah, a Northern European on holiday, yeah. sunburnt. Clearly doesn't belong here. You know, yeah. they look at a place. You know, they're walking around the streets at half past four in the afternoon in August. You know yeah. I mean, where the only people you see on the streets are like Brits yeah. and dogs. I mean, everyone's <laughs> Brits and dogs. <laughs> Everyone else is asleep, wearing the obligatory socks and sandals. Yeah, and, and the and the old Bruce Willis diehard vests, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. it's quite a derogatory term, is is, is giddy sometimes. And Spanish yeah, people say it. You, can t- you yeah. know, look at those giddies over there. So it's a self-deprecating thing to say, right? And usually, a self-deprecating opener to a comedy set is 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 the way to go, yeah. right? Because you're yeah. showing you've you've noticed that about yourself. Fair enough. 
so I went on and say giddy, I'm, I'm, you know, giddy. And then it was just like, um, I think it's something like, esa semana es un poco difícil con el tema del Brexit. You know, this week's a little difficult with the with the with the Brexit thing. Uh, and then acabo de llegar de mi pueblo. I've just arrived from my town, que se llama Magaluf. Right. Yeah. So that was the the sort of joke is as in uh, I was born and bred in Magaluf. Clearly, Magaluf has a reputation of just being full of borrachos, drunk Brits. It's an awful place. Like, yeah. no Spaniard would ever go there. Yeah. There's nothing Spanish on any menu you ever go. There's just pubs like the Red Lion and the Bull's Head and all that. Right. It's 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 England in the sun, but it's vulgar and it's it's shit. Right. I like to call it a giddy ghetto. Yeah. And by the way, I've been there twice on lads' holidays and had a great time. But anyway, right. not authentic Spain, though. <laughs> Exactly. So then I went on to sort of say, I'll say this bit in English and then in Spanish. I said, uh, for those of you who don't know the town, let me just explain what it's about. So I was like, si no lo conoces, os explico bien. Right? Os explico un poco, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I said, uh, es un pueblo muy, muy español, no? It's a really, it's got a really uh, ambiente de, de España. Yeah. Like it's a really traditional Spanish place, super got a, a classic Spanish feel about it. And that was just went down like a lead balloon. Like they were looking at me thinking, well, no, it isn't. <laughs> right? But I'm like, I'm taking a piss. Like, it's, it's, of course it's not like that. Went the wrong way with the sarcasm. But then I, w- I went on to say, you know, uh, por ejemplo, la comida es muy tradicional, tienen platos super españoles, por ejemplo, fish and chips <laughs> y el full English breakfast. And again, fucking nothing, you know, nothing, dying on its ass. And, I thought, and like, they're sitting there looking at you thinking, yeah, okay, about, but it, you know what I mean? No, that's not true. It's not, that's, they're not, that's not Spanish food. Yeah, and the only thing that saved me in that bit, that's that routine, the only thing that saved me was a comparison of black pudding to morcilla, right? Because ah, okay, yeah. black pudding, for those of you listeners who don't know, it's the, it's sort of made with dried pig's blood, uh, and onions, and it's found on traditional full English breakfast. But mm. the, the sort of Spanish version of that, I guess, is called morcilla. Mm. It's made with either rice or it's made with onions, and it's beautiful. It's a yeah. lot better than black pudding. I agree. Right? It's very tasty. Right? It is very tasty. Including the pig's blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I then said was, about this traditional Spanish food, was I then said, you know, full English breakfast, I said, viene con huevos, salchichas, pan blanco y black pudding. Black pudding is como morcilla, pero sin sabor. So that was then giving them a point to your English listeners. What I just said then was like, the full English comes with, you know, eggs, sausages, white bread and black pudding. And black pudding is morcilla without flavour. So then that's self-deprecating. So on yeah, the criticising yeah, your own cuisine. Exactly. Yeah. I'm criticising how shit and dull our food is and giving them some points for how awesome their food is. Now that bit got a laugh, right? Interesting. So they didn't really go with the sarcasm bit and they didn't really follow my description of Magaluf because they're like, what's he on about? But then the second I mentioned, and by the way, food is a really like close to the heart subject in this country. Oh right? my God, the arguments I've had. Basically, you cannot criticise Spanish food. Punto. Just don't even try and argue. Even if you think it's not that great or whatever, don't argue with the Spaniard about their food. Exactly. And then I'd struggled through a few other bits of uh, of anecdotes. Because again, as I said before, I'm more of an anecdotal guy, right? Yeah, not yeah. a sort of quick set-up punch kind of material. And I think when I watch a lot of uh, monogolistas, they're called here, like Spanish stand-ups, yeah. a lot of it is very, very one-hit, poof, joke, 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 jokes. Not really that many stories. Storytelling, yeah. So I tried to tell a couple of stories that have genuinely happened to me one of them was about a guy from Amazon that came to the door the first week I moved here, as I said, zero Spanish. He knocked on the door with a parcel for me and he's gone, Eres Richard Marshall. 
And I said, yeah, yeah, soy yo. That's about all I knew. Yes, it's me. Uh, handed me the package and I went, gracias, adios. And he then said, no, no, no. Necesito ver tu carne, right? Uh, right? Yeah. And I then said, carne, como? And he's gone, carne, carne, tu carne, carne. Which means ID, right? Man, needs to see your ID card. Now, I then said, carne, bueno, está en la nevera. Tenemos ternera, tenemos... <laughs> Then there was, you know, pollo, whatever. So I went yeah. through a list of couscous carne, C-A-R-N-E. It means meat, right? So then it's a play on the word of my confusion that he wanted to see my meat, yeah. which is in the fridge, which genuinely happened, by the way. So I was trying to tell uh, this okay. story. <laughs> now, I don't know, like, I thought it was a pretty funny story, right? Yeah. But the audience didn't. <laughs> it was awful, man. It was just dead silence. And so the addition to that bit was like, I carry on talking to him and going, carne, pero... Uh, no, I don't know about in your house, but my, you know, meat's in the fridge, coming to the kitchen. And I think I dragged it on too long, to be honest. But then I just yeah. did this, like, finger and thumb sign and, like, the size of an idea. And I went, no, 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 carne, carne. And I went, ah, oh, chorizo. Bueno, it's like But again, fuck all. We got nothing. No. Right? It was horrible. I don't think in Spanish they have this kind of tradition of, of playing with the language like we do, mm. like we have in English. They don't do puns wordplay, you know, with words that sound similar but have different meanings, this kind of thing. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, Spanish, Spanish has, is a very rich language and has you know, great, incredible expressions and sayings and, mm. and ways of insulting each other and all this kind of thing. But I don't think in Spanish they have that, you know, that, that, that costumbre, that, that, that they're not used to playing with the language. So, yeah. whereas we find that funny, that, you know, meat and ID sounds the same. Yeah, carne. It's carne yeah. or it's carne. It's carne. It's, I mean, yeah. come on. And especially in that situation, oh, can I see your, you think he's saying, can I see your meat, please? I I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah. I've been here a week. I knew the word carne because I'd been shopping. <laughs> I, brought, I brought meat and, and cordero and, you know, whatever. I bought, I bought some meat. That, I'd actually bought some meat that day. Yeah. So I genuinely thought the guy wanted to see me meat. <laughs> I told my wife after and she was roaring laughing. You know, and then obviously, obviously I've been here five years now. So five years later, I tried to tell it for a room full of Spaniards thinking it worked on one of them. Didn't. I'll tell you the other story as well was about Pueblo de mi Madre. Right? Yeah. A pueblo de mi madre. So basically, for those listeners not from Spain or whatever, not speaking Spanish, Pueblo is a town, de mi madre, which is my, my mother's town. Yeah. So most people who live in big cities, they often go for sort of a long weekend or whatever, they'll go to their mum's little village. That's right? really common. Everyone's going to a pueblo de mi madre. They don't have to name the town of it. It doesn't matter what it's called. Yeah. It's just called, a, they're going to a pueblo de mi madre. And this is generally true as well. I've been here about six months and it was a puente, you know, one of them long weekends, like four days off, whatever. And I was in the pharmacy listening to people in the queue about where they were going on, on holiday and somebody said they're going to a pueblo de mi madre, right? Then about an hour later I was in the fruit shop. Again, similar situation, similar conversation. And they said they're going to a pueblo de mi madre. Then I came home to the flat and Monica says, pack the suitcase, we're off away for a couple of days. And I said, where are we going? She said, a pueblo de mi madre. I said, fucking hell, I can't wait to go there. Everyone's going there. <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Is it far away? It must have big hotels in it, casinos. Has it got a nightclub? What's it got? Because everyone's going there. Everyone's going. Right? I genuinely thought that it was a place called el pueblo de mi madre. I think that's a funny story. Right? About a guy just completely confused about this phrase, not knowing what it is. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Well, well yeah. the room full of Spaniards didn't think so either, Paul, right? So fucking, I've got these two anecdotes, obviously, thinking they're awesome. Nothing. Like trying to do comedy in a language, it's really, really challenging. But anyway, I've done it. I'm glad I've done it. And I will do it again. What rescued me was I said, I like 
Spaniards a lot. They're great, but they have this weird obsession with the number two. I don't know why, but everyone here has to repeat everything twice. So I did this impression of like, ¿Qué tal, hombre? ¿Todo bien? Sí, sí. ¿Me dejas pasar? Sí, sí. Pasa, pasa. You know, everything's twice. Anda, anda. Vale, vale. Vale, vale. It's everything, you know. And that got a laugh. They were like, yeah, you know. That did well. That rescued me. They did acknowledge, they acknowledge that. that. And they acknowledged that Morcilla is better than black pudding. The trick is to flatter Spaniards about their food. Absolutely. <laughs> but also, don't forget, right, that this was 100% new material that I was doing, right? Not only in the language, but, like, I can't take the material I do in English to an English-speaking audience. I can't do that and say that to the Spaniards. I can't say about the indicators thing, which I've not gone into yet, but they don't see it from my angle on it. It's really hard to explain, but yeah. I can't just take a bit and translate it and try it there. It's just not going to... I just don't think it's going to work the same. So this was all doing it 100% new material, and you never do that. You always sandwich in your new bits with bits you know work, and it's really quite tough. I mean, I think that's the point, isn't it, that comedy aside, when you move to a different country, these things stand out to us because we're not from here now you know to a Spaniard these little frustrations things that to us we find unusual or strange are only like that for us because we're not from here now to a Spaniard you know someone not indicating you know they're just immune to it because that's what they've always been used to all their life they don't see it as unusual yeah. or, or why is that even funny yeah, yeah it's just, just well, that's just what happens let me tell you about the indicators thing right so as I said driving around and again I think it's down to the manners and politeness Paul, to be honest. And for me, the indicator is a, is a gesture of, of uh, you know, I'm going this way. It's it's a case where you better slow down, mate, because yeah. I'm just about to turn right. It's yeah? just consideration, thinking about other people. Exactly. Yeah. About your spatial awareness as well, which I know you've talked about before, right? So it's a similar <laughs> thing to that. I'm going this way, back off a bit. Now, because like 95% of drivers here don't use them, when you are so used to using them, it's really, really annoying. Now, I yeah. asked my wife about a few months I was like, by the way, indicators. I said, what are they called over here? What's the name of them here? And she said they're called intermittentes, which is from the word intermittent. <laughs> and I thought about it for a while. And I thought, well, we call them indicators because it, you indicate to people where you're going, right? The name of it, the name of it is what it does, right? Yeah. It's, in, it's an indicator because I'm, I'm either going right, I'm going left, I'm not indicating to you what that is. Now, if you call that intermittentes, if you call that intermittent, then it no longer has a name for what it does. It just has a name for the f intermittent flashing lights of it, right? Yeah. So I was writing this down one day and I thought, well, how can I make that into a comedy bit? I've recently come up with a bit of a theory, right, that it isn't their fault that the Spanish don't use their indicators. And the reason I think it's that is because they haven't named them properly, right? <laughs> now, in England, we call them uh, indicators because you indicate to people where you're going, right? Might be right, might be left. Pretty basic stuff. Indicators. Here, though, They've called them intermittentes, right, from the word intermittent. Which basically fucking means, phew, I don't know, maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like their attitude towards using them is exactly the same as the noise they make. I can see, I can know, I can see, I can know. <laughs> 
Now, we've talked about some of the inspiration behind uh, your comedy here. Some of it's based on, uh, you know, frustrations, things that, are, that annoy you uh, in Spain. But it's not all complaining, is it? It's not all negative. Um, no. You don't want people to say that, you know, they come and see you, you're just going to be standing on the stage complaining <laughs> and complaining. I am a nice guy, Paul, and I, I, I love living in Spain. You know, we've, we've been here five years now, and it, I, I love it, really, really do, especially now I've got the language and the food's great, the weather, the lifestyle, the people are super friendly. Yeah. Um, love it. So yeah, it's not all me me having a, mo- a moan and a whinge. I mean, I do have a lot of material that's uh, that's universal. Um, yeah. So yeah, so let's clear that up. <laughs> so Richard, tell us a bit more about Madrid stand-up comedy. Tell us a bit about how it came about. Yeah, so Madrid stand-up comedy is a joint venture between myself and Mike Demanti, my serendipitous American amigo <laughs> yeah who I told you about earlier yeah um, so yeah Mike and I run a monthly comedy showcase uh, at um, actually at the cave room at Teatro de las Aguas right in the heart of La Latina neighborhood we started in November last year why did we start it well basically we found that there wasn't many places to perform anymore I'm sure you know large cities like Madrid can be quite transient places yeah yeah um, and as a result some of the people who used to run the comedy nights here had moved on so we were left with plenty of things to say uh, but unfortunately nowhere to say them nowhere to say them <laughs> yeah so but nowhere to be funny <laughs> nowhere to be funny nowhere to be heard exactly and uh, and out of necessity to to continue being stand-up comedians and have regular stage time, we thought the best solution would be to produce our own show. It's uh, once a month. And it's not just Mike and myself. We have guest comedians come and perform alongside us. Uh, uh-huh. Sometimes two, sometimes three comedians as well. And it's great. And it's really, it's actually sort of quite challenging for Mike and myself because we're obviously regulars at the show. Yeah. It pushes us creatively every month to be sort of injecting new material and creating new things uh, into our performance yeah. as well so uh, keeps you on your toes yeah definitely definitely it's uh, it, it's been fantastic and the good news is we've uh, sold out every show since we started uh, so it's four shows in a row complete sellout so we're we're thrilled about that the reputation is is spreading words getting around not only amongst the comedians uh, here in Madrid that perform in English but also uh, further afield we've been fortunate to be approached by some professional comedians. Uh, one chap uh, came, Garen Chu, from, from Hong Kong to do a set for us on our on our opening night. That was fantastic. Fantastic, um, yeah, we've, yeah. We've had comedians from uh, Chicago and New York, and we've got some headliners booked for the future shows from, from London and LA as well. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Congratulations on that. Give us a bit more of a feel about the, the venue. The venue itself is, is fantastic. As I said earlier on in the podcast, <clears throat> it's easily the best venue for comedy in Madrid. I mean, I've performed at a lot of uh, various different venues when I was on the scene in London. What's great about the venue is its sort of intimate shape, really. It's uh, that cellar kind of feel to it. Uh, so it's got a fantastic atmosphere. But what we've done is uh, we've taken a few uh, sort of different ideas and things that comedy clubs have for me back home in London and, and for Mike back in New York, uh, and we brought them over here and implemented them to our night yeah. at, at, at the cave in Las Aguas. For example, we've had our logo printed on a, a huge four-foot square banner, which we hang up behind us on the stage, so very yeah. much kind of like uh, the comedy store in, in Leicester Square kind of feel. Um, and I think most importantly what we've done is we've worked really, really hard with the venue to get the lighting right. As you know, Paul, living in Spain, 
I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree. A lot of uh, sort of bars and places you go out uh, for drinks, meals, whatever, tend to be brightly lit. Really brightly lit. It doesn't normally give it that intimate feel. Yeah, like six million light bulbs in a restaurant or something. It's yeah. like being under a sun lamp. It's really important in comedy that, that the audience are sort of more anonymous, really. Like, like it's uh, the idea is that the, the, the comedian on stage is lit up in the spotlight. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that spotlight's super strong and sort of blinds you when you're up there. So you can't see necessarily see the whole room, which, yeah. which is great for nerves because it calms you down. You don't know you're performing to a room full of people. You can only see sort of three or four people in the front row. But more importantly, from the perspective of the crowd, what we noticed in the first couple of shows when we were just using the venue's lighting system was that we could literally look in everybody's eyes and see everybody. I'm not blaming the fact that our material wasn't funny, but people don't tend to, <laughs> people don't tend to laugh as much if they can be seen by the people around them yeah. uh, and certainly you know the comedian on stage because let's not forget that stand-up comedy really is about there's a spokesperson on the stage speaking about uh, personal things or, or confrontational things or saying the unsayable often, right? If the audience uh, agrees with that and that uh, agreement tends to come out in, in laughter, that's the reply. It's better if they can't be seen. Like if you're in a sort of dark, dingy cellar <laughs> and no one can see you and there's a bit of material that's just been said that's possibly quite rude or very personal or whatever, yeah. uh, you can let out a big hearty laugh and not fear the fact that, that you might get picked on by the, the, the comic. Yeah. Or, or, or that you're being judged yeah. by the people sitting around you or maybe, you know, by whoever you've gone to the comedy night with who might be thinking, really, you find that funny? Why yeah. do you find that funny? Do you do that as well? Is that- <laughs> exactly. So you, you, don't, you, know, you don't want to be getting people into trouble on, the dri- on their drive home. Yeah. I think it's great as well, the combination of an American and a Brit being in charge of this because I'm biased on this, but, you know, the genre of stand-up comedy it's fundamentally born in those two countries. So you got a, a show coming up uh, quite soon, actually. Yeah, the next show is March 14th, yeah. Saturday, March 14th. We're talking over an hour and a half's worth of uh, live entertainment. Yeah, it gets packed out. You've been sold out. So I, I guess your advice is if anyone would like to go along and see you to, to get online and yeah. book, book the tickets rather than buy them on the door. And super great value by the way as well right how much how much is a, a ticket well it's eight euros online in advance yeah. uh, and it's a couple of euros more on the door it's a 10 year old ticket price on the door but i think that's a moot point really because uh, as we've been saying that yeah that we've been selling out in advance anyway i will put a link to your website your social media channels in the show notes richard thanks so much for your time pleasure it's been fantastic i've really enjoyed it thanks very much for having me <laughs> So that was Richard Marshall. Big thanks to him. If you'd like to catch Richard and his show, Madrid Stand-Up Comedy, you can find him at Teatro de las Aguas, which is in the La Latina neighbourhood of Madrid. He's got a show coming up on Saturday, March the 14th, as he mentioned. If you'd like more information about Madrid Stand-Up Comedy, you can find more at their website, which is msuc.webs.com. Dot com msuc.webs.com you can also find richard on facebook you just need to search richard marshall which is m a r s h a l and they also have a facebook group as well which is for the madrid stand up comedy just search madrid stand up comedy on facebook and he's also on instagram as well at richard marshall comedy 
So if you're coming to Madrid in the next few weeks, or indeed you live here and you fancy a night of high quality comedy, go and check them out at Teatro de las Aguas. Incidentally, Richard also asked me to make a special mention and say that, of course, there are many, many other comedy shows available in the Spanish capital. So if you'd like to find out more about what's going on on Madrid's comedy circuit, go and check out madridlive.es which is a wealth of information all about live entertainment in English in Madrid, whether you're looking for theatre, stand-up comedy or improv shows. So just a few things to mention before I head off. If you're new to the podcast, When in Spain also has a presence on all the usual social media hangouts. You can find us on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Just search When in Spain. And also worth mentioning is that When in Spain has a very active uh, Facebook community. There is a When in Spain Facebook group, which you can join. It's your place to ask any questions of fellow When in Spain listeners. Uh, it's a place for you to share content about Spain, news articles, photography, anything like that, anything Spain related. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly, uh, maybe with some feedback about the podcast, or if you have any specific inquiries or queries or questions about Spain, feel free to get in touch with me at wheninspain1 at outlook.com. Wheninspain1 at outlook.com. And also, just before I go, a quick reminder, if you do enjoy this podcast, whether you're new to it or maybe you've been listening to it for quite some time now and you would like to help support me and the podcast and the work that I do, please consider signing up to become a When in Spain patron. This can be a one-off or a monthly recurring donation made via the crowdfunding website called patreon.com. The page for When in Spain is patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. And there are numerous tiers of patronage you can sign up to. There is a 3, 5, 10, 20 and 50 dollar tier which you can sign up to with the five dollar tier and above you get access to when in spain bonus content so videos live videos you have access to me to ask any questions about spain with the higher tiers you get a meet up with me and a walk around madrid when you're here of course and for those tiers i'm also working on other bonus content as well so in the near future there will be bonus podcast episodes available to patrons only i'm working on putting together a monthly When in Spain newsletter and I'm also putting together a series of When in Spain guides all to do with travel, places, my recommendations, places that I've talked about in all of the different podcast episodes, loads of practical advice if you're planning to visit Spain or indeed if you're planning to come and live here as well. You'll get access to all of those materials by signing up to become a patron and you can do that as I said at patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. If you feel that you're not in a position to spend $5 or more per month, then you can also sign up to become a patron by pledging as little as just $1 per month. $1 per month or $2 per month will help support the podcast and I will be really, really grateful. For the $1, 2 3 and $4 donations, you won't get access to the bonus content, but you will get a warm feeling knowing that you're really making a difference helping me keep the this podcast going.
I also have lots of people asking if they can make a one-time or one-off donation. Uh, Yes, you can do that. Now, the Patreon crowdfunding website is not designed or set up uh, really with this in mind. The idea behind Patreon is uh, people sign up almost like a subscription to offer continual support to independent content creators like myself. But there is a way of making a one-time donation. And what it means is you can sign up to one of the monthly tiers And then once your payment's been taken, you can then simply cancel your subscription. Anyway, enough shameless self-promotion. I will leave it there for this episode. Just to say that this weekend I'm heading off to Zaragoza in the Aragon region of Spain, uh, just about equidistance between Madrid and Barcelona. Next week I will be bringing you an episode all about Zaragoza. I will be bringing you guys an audio experience, a little walk around Zaragoza, talking about the different things which are on offer to see and visit in the city, a little splash of history and some sounds and flavour from the streets of Zaragoza. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming to you uh, next Monday. So until then, I've been Paul Birch. This has been the When in Spain podcast and I shall bid you hasta luego. Hasta luego.